0: This is The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Aris Yarmouth. Good morning and welcome to The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center. I'm Kevin Northup. The Weekender for Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Coming up this hour, a two-part interview with a Ukrainian-Canadian man who left his life of fishing in Matagin to go back to his home country to help evacuate citizens. Reporter Jacob Hostelwaite speaks with Lex Brokowski. And Scotian Shores has removed thousands of pounds of marine debris this year off beaches in southwestern Nova Scotia. And Cape Sable Island is the focus this weekend. We chat with local coordinator Kristen Hobbold. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. The following interview contains content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Jacob Postlewaite. In February of this year, Russia invaded Ukraine. Ever since, Ukrainians have been fighting hard to defend their country and their freedom. It's a conflict that has touched the lives of every Ukrainian, both in Ukraine and living abroad. I'm joined today by Lex Burkovsky, who was born in Ukraine and now lives here in the community of Claire, here in the Tri-Counties. He went to Ukraine to provide humanitarian relief and help evacuation efforts He's now returned to the Tri-Counties. Thanks for joining me today, Lex. Uh, nice to be here. So, before we talk about your trip to Ukraine, uh, tell us a little bit about your early life living there.
2: Um, well, I, I was born in Lviv, which is a western part of Ukraine, and uh, I pretty much uh, lived there till I was 12, went to school there till about grade six or so, and then immigrated to Canada with my parents uh, in 95.
1: Okay. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, why you came over here to Canada and, uh, how you ended up down in Clare?
2: Uh, well, like I said, my parents immigrated. So me and my sister, you know, I was only 12 at the, uh, back then. So, uh, we immigrated with them. We moved to Toronto. Uh lived there for about 10 years. And then I moved, uh, moved around the country a little bit. I, I lived in Manitoba and Calgary and, uh, uh around 2008 or 9 i can't remember exactly we uh moved back to europe for a few months uh, for seven months actually and uh uh things didn't work out there i guess Uh, it was recession and uh we uh, decided we're going to move back to canada and made a pit stop in uh, nova scotia and uh I kind of like it here. I got a job on the boat uh, right off the bat, and uh, I enjoyed that, so we just decided to stay here.
1: Yeah, it's, that's kind of the thing about Nova Scotia, you know, you're you you just you're passing through or you're coming by to visit, and you just kind of fall in love with the place. I know I, I really fell in love with this area. Uh, I should probably mention as well, uh, for our listeners who aren't aware, I'm actually Ukrainian as well. Uh, my great-grandparents were born in Ukraine. My great-grandmother, she came over with her family when she was really young. And my great-grandfather, he came over to work at the steel plant in Sydney, up in Cape Breton. Uh, And I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's actually a pretty big Ukrainian community in Cape Breton. We actually have the only Ukrainian church east of Montreal really uh, yeah in my hometown of sydney so uh there's just there's a huge ukrainian community there when i was a kid i did ukrainian dancing you know we had we celebrated ukrainian christmas malenka things like that yes sir yeah so it was uh it was, it was a lot so uh did you know anything at all about i had community?
2: no idea i know uh most of the ukrainians that i ran into big ukrainian communities were obviously in toronto and uh manitoba there was a lot of ukrainians in alberta but uh uh, for the longest time, for the last 10 years, or, well, last 15 years probably, I thought I was the only Ukrainian in Nova Scotia. So. <laughs>
1: oh, okay, so you haven't met really any other Ukrainians around here. Uh,
2: well, I, I guess I'm over-exaggerating a little bit. I didn't really think I was the only one, but uh, I, I didn't meet too many here. So.
1: Well, now you've met another
2: one. Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, <clears throat> let's, t- let's get a little bit more serious here. Let's talk a little bit about the invasion, of course. Uh, I've felt a lot of things... Since it started, I think it's, you know, it's touched every single one of us. Uh, How are you feeling?
2: Um, Well, right off the bat, there was a lot of, uh, um, I think, anger because uh, it just seemed unfair uh, that, you know, this is actually really happening. Um, and
1: in this day and age, you in know, this, it's, yeah, that's it's, right. It's 2022. We're,
2: we're, we're in 2022 where, you know, countries don't invade other countries, you know, for a purpose of occupying territory. And, right. you know, so it's, uh, it's something that, you know, uh, it, it's something that we thought ended, you know, in 1945 and, uh, when the second world war ended and, uh, was you know, just just confusion and anger and uh, and, and all these negative feelings. Uh, that's what I felt on on the 24th of uh, February when when my mom called in the middle of the night, saying that uh, that they were bombed. Uh, so uh, I don't think I properly slept for the first three nights because. It was such a shock that, uh, especially being here, uh, you know, not knowing w- what to do and, 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 you know, you, you obviously want to do something to help, but, uh, what do you do, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, and, and just watching the news every night, uh, you know, it made me feel more, more helpless and, and more angry and, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, those those were my initial feelings.
1: I I felt a lot of the same things. You know, just a lot of just anger over why is this happening? Why does this need to happen? You know, it's it you you've just got you're fighting over fighting over land. You know, these are people's lives, and and it feels like you know, especially you know, like you said after the Second World War, it's like we shouldn't be in this kind of place anymore. Yeah, we shouldn't be true. doing these kind of things yep. anymore. Um, so you have you still have you mentioned your. You got a call from your mother, so are your parents, and do you have more family that are still living over there?
2: Yeah, most of my family is there. I guess uh, my only immediate family in Canada would be my sister and my two kids. Um, Everybody else is uh, back home. So uh, uh, it made it that much worse because, uh, you know, it's— you know you, your heart breaks for your country and everybody else but uh also it's 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 your closest family and you know especially in the beginning where you, you you have no idea what what what's going on exactly and how bad it is and how you know it's you're obviously worried for uh uh for everybody so
1: absolutely so let's talk a little bit now about your trip uh when did you make that decision i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go there i'm gonna help i'm gonna do something when did you when did you come to that decision? Uh,
2: within the first few days, like I said, I had no idea how I can help. Um, you know, I looked for, for ways. To, I knew I wanted to do something. And then uh, within the first few days, when, when I seen the amount of uh, people fleeing the country, I thought uh, maybe I can uh, help uh, the refugees uh, in some form. Uh, so everybody was, uh, well, not everybody, but a lot of people were were uh, uh, fleeing to Poland. Um, so I thought maybe it's something I can do there, uh, help him out. And I wasn't sure how uh, at that time. Um, so I started, uh, uh, I guess, organizing a trip and trying to raise a little bit of money to see uh, what can be done. Um, so my original plan was to, I guess, move, uh, fly to Poland and try to get as close to Ukraine, uh, to Ukrainian border, I guess, as I can and see what the situation is and how I can make myself useful. Um, so I took off on the, uh, uh, first week of March, which would have been, I guess, the second week of war. And, uh, you know, uh, once I made it to Poland, I couldn't even, uh, find a ho- hotel room to, uh, to rent for the night because everything was booked. There were, there were Ukrainians everywhere there.
1: Just refugees just pouring in, uh, I imagine.
2: That's right. Uh, as soon as I got off the airport, I, I went to, uh, to a bus stop to, to try to make it to a Ukrainian embassy to see if, uh, you know, get more info and see how I can, uh, how I can help. And, uh, I asked them where the closest hotel room is or the closest hotel, and uh, they told me right away, you're going to have a hard time finding a hotel room, so I ended up finding one. It was uh, quite expensive because, you know, the only hotel rooms that were available were penthouses and expensive hotels, so I had to spend the night there, and uh, um, right through the first night, I uh, thought uh, that I got to keep going further, so... I bought a bus ticket the next morning and uh, crossed over the border. So I was in in Ukraine on on the 10th of March.
1: So when you got there, uh, tell us about how you got involved and tell us about some of the work that you did once you got into the country.
2: Well, right off the bat, we were able to uh, uh, gather up a bit of funds, uh, you know, and I think within the first week or so, we probably uh, had about twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars. So I knew it was something, and it was a little bit of uh, money to, you know, to be able to do something with it. So now, when I went, uh, when I got to Ukraine, I I I, uh, I stayed in Lviv, which is uh, where uh, where a big chunk of refugees were settling before they would go further. So there were a lot of volunteer centers and uh, refugee centers, and uh, so I went there first to see w- what people need and uh, what I can get for them. Uh, so, you know, the people left their houses uh, with with just suitcase. So you know, people needed everything and anything from from food and clothing, and you know, to meds and diapers and so on and so forth. So uh, I uh, I kind of spent three or four days trying to figure out the best way to spend the money that people have donated. So it, it makes it, uh, uh, you know, so you get most use out of it. Um, so on the news, I seen that there was, uh, a, a, a bus with the orphans that uh, came to, uh, uh, that they moved from, from Eastern part of the country to Lviv. Uh, so I try to get in touch with them to see what they would need. And in the process, of that I ran into uh, some volunteers that just brought uh, some kids from the eastern part of Ukraine um, so I went up and talked to them and see uh, asked them if uh, if they needed anything that I could help them with and they asked uh, well they asked me if I'd be willing to uh, uh, help them out by uh, bringing the supplies to uh, the front lines and evacuating people, so I, I said yes for sure. I got, you know, I never had no vehicle, so I offered uh, uh, to buy a vehicle with the money that we raised uh, to be able to, uh, you know, have have wheels and be able to help. Uh, luckily, I didn't need to do that. They had uh they had a few vehicles that they could spare, so they they uh, geared me up with the van right off the bat um i i offered to pay for fuel um at that time uh they had uh, fuel reserves diesel reserves so we didn't need to do uh we didn't need to spend money on that uh so basically uh, the next thing i did was i asked them for a list of things that people need uh so i got a list on the next day and uh, uh me and my mom my mom lives in Lviv y- in right now so me and my mom uh Uh, Took off in the new van that I got. Uh, Went and started shopping for, uh, uh, you know, everything that was on the list. Uh, A lot of it was, uh, at that time, I guess, uh, like a very few, few, uh, first few days, uh, there was a lot of shortage, basic necessities, like, uh, you know, clothes and diapers and and food and baby formulas and, and all that, so... I think the first day we spent like $5000 just loading the the van right to the top uh to to deliver all that. Um after that uh basically we just kept uh buying supplies. Uh, me having a Canadian passport I was able to leave the country or cross the border uh you know with no problems. So you know a few weeks down the line when when supplies were short in the country i was able to uh, uh cross over to poland and buy uh stock up there uh, then bring it over the border uh drive it down to uh Donbass region and chernihiv region and uh uh you know s- uh, southeastern ukraine uh deliver whatever we'd purchase and uh, pick up, uh, uh, you know, uh, women and children that were trying to flee and uh, also wounded people. And we'd bring them, you know, back uh, back west. And we'd do that uh, twice a week for, for probably a couple of months until uh, we ran into a fuel shortage in Ukraine. Uh, there was... Uh, there was almost hardly any fuel anywhere. So, I mean, uh, in order to get fuel, uh, we we'd, we'd wait sometimes for uh, sometimes a day or a day and a half wow. at the gas station t- for the next truck to come in with diesel or in fuel, and uh, we were only able to get uh, anywhere between five to twenty liters per vehicle. So it, it slowed things down uh, quite a bit because we weren't able to just make straight runs back and forth. Uh, These trips are taking a lot longer. So instead of two uh, trips a week, it was more like one trip a week. Um, So yeah, that's what we did there.
0: The Weekender will return in a moment. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. The following interview contains content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. And now, part two of Jacob postwaite's interview with Lex Berkovsky.
1: So you were in a, a lot of different areas of Ukraine. Then you mentioned uh, Lviv, Donbas, a lot of a lot of you know eastern, southern Ukraine. Uh, did you see a lot of fighting when you were there? Did, was there a lot of a lot of that going on in in those regions when you were? going through, delivering supplies, bringing people to safety? Did you encounter any of those dangerous situations? Uh,
2: yeah, mo- most of the fighting, uh, well, in the beginning of the war, it was r- right uh, from from Kiev region all the way to Crimea, uh, right around the eastern, uh, all the eastern regions where, uh, uh, where fight- fighting was there. But, uh, uh, I mean, the whole country is uh, getting bombed and uh, uh, under constant air raids daily uh you know but wh- where the actual tanks and artillery and, and and all that is it's uh it's right now contained to the eastern part of the re- uh country um we we did have uh, uh f- quite a few close calls uh down those areas uh, we've been under blockade in Chernihiv for five days. Um, when we got in there, uh, we got uh, actually that was one of my first trips. It was my second or third trip uh, that uh, we took off uh, from Lviv. There was we ha- we were in a convoy of uh, uh, f- three vehicles, <clears throat> and I guess our first pit stop was uh, at Kiev. Um, now, when we got close to Kiev, they wouldn't let us through one of the checkpoints because the Ukrainian army was uh, going on the offensive. Uh, so there was a lot of heavy fighting there, and they didn't want to let us through the checkpoint, so we had to spend the night in the woods uh, in our vehicles. Uh, so the, come daylight, they let us through. So we were able to get into Kiev. Uh, but on the way to Kiev on the radio, I heard... Uh, so, so our plan was to drop off one vehicle in Kiev and the other two vehicles, my vehicle and my partner's vehicle, were supposed to keep trucking to uh, Chernihiv. Uh, but uh, on the way to Kiev that morning, we learned that uh, the Russians dropped a bomb on the bridge... Uh, in Chernihiv, that crosses the, ri- uh, the yeah, that crosses the river, and uh, on the south side of the city, and the other three sides of the city were surrounded by the Russian army. So basically, they uh, blew up the only way in and out of the city. Uh, um, so we we learned that that morning. So we we had no idea how to get into chernihiv uh we, we kind of looked at the maps and and all the other options and the only the only one option uh to get to the city was through a pedestrian bridge that was still standing there um of course it was uh, it was a tricky mission getting through a pedestrian bridge on a vehicle uh, mind you to get to that bridge we had to pass through uh, quite a journey uh, it was a big detour through woods and fields, um, to get to that bridge. Uh, when, once we got there, there was a whole bunch of, uh, other vehicles, uh, military and volunteers and uh, ambulances and, uh, humanitarian aid that, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was quite a, quite a column of vehicles there, um. So so everybody would be waiting. there would be like the last village before entering Chernihiv. So it would be a big field. I think it was maybe three kilometers long, uh, the distance between that village and Chernihiv. And uh, it was constantly being shelled. So the military would let us pass four we- vehicles at a time. And we basically just uh, pedal to the metal and try not to uh, get hit by a shell. Um until we get to the pedestrian bridge. And once we get to the pedestrian bridge, uh, there was military there that would let one vehicle pass at a time. Uh, anyhow, uh, we, we were able to get to Chernihiv. Um, so, so we crossed that bridge. We went to uh, the volunteer center in downtown there and uh, uh, offloaded what we brought, loaded up the people that uh, we, were, we, were, we wanted to evacuate drove back to that uh to the uh, bridge and as soon as we got there it just got uh, uh it just got hammered with with artillery and i re- i remember uh, watching civilians that are trying to escape from the city through the only bridge that's still standing the only route out of the city and they just got peppered by shells so they, the military right away closed off the uh, uh, entrance to the bridge. Nobody could get in and out. And, uh, you know, as soon as the shelling would stop, they'd reopen it. And as soon as people would start crossing the bridge, the, you know, the the it, it would get shelled again. So we tried three or four times with no luck, uh, at which point we realized we're completely surrounded by the Russians. And... Um, uh, you know the only way out is 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 getting shelled 24/7 so we stayed there for 5 days trying to figure out a way to leave the city um you know the ukrainian army would bring pontoon bridges but they would get uh uh they'd get fired upon they'd get destroyed before they even had a chance to put them up um so, on on the fifth day, uh, we were supposed to leave. Well, I I really didn't know the plan until the last minute. What the military told us is they they'll they'll try to get us out uh, by boat through the river. Although they warned us, there's snipers and 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 so on and so forth. But we took the chance. Um, I guess. Uh, we we never ended up crossing it um, uh, on the boats, and I never actually I don't think I ever told anybody th- in the media how we got out until today. Probably because because uh, uh, it was it's kind of secret then. Uh, there was the only way out uh, from the city then, and uh, uh, you know r- right now Chernihiv is not under blockade anymore, so it's probably not a secret anymore. But uh, we ended up uh, crossing over with the military disguised as part of the military when they were doing their rotation uh, when over the river. Um, so we, we did sneak through that bridge, through the pedestrian bridge. We just kind of had to crawl uh, low enough that uh, nobody would see us from the ground. And uh, anyways, that's how we crossed over back from Chernihiv. Oh,
3: um,
1: that is an amazing story. That is, is truly amazing, just the not only, you know, what's happening there and, you know, the, the steps you have to take to protect yourself, to protect other people, but just your you and everybody you were with, your resilience and you just want to get in there to help people to, you know, and even though it was so hard, you know, you did bring, that, bring what you needed in there and you did what you needed to do. And I think that's just a, so admirable. And I think that's just an amazing story.
2: Yeah well when when once we once we crossed the river out of Chernihiv uh what i seen there i'll never forget that because uh it was part of the i guess anything around the bridge was getting hammered so much and so often that you know people didn't have time to to uh um clean up the bodies so uh you know i i remember the the smell they that i can't forget and the sight of of a dead woman that's been laying there for 4 days and you know people couldn't get to her to bury her because it it, it wasn't fit it wasn't safe so you know those are the horrors of what's happening in ukraine right now
1: it is it is horror it's it's horrific what's happening it's and like we've been saying you know it's unnecessary it's that that this this is happening it's it's not needed it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, it's, it's
2: uncalled for it's you know it's, it's genocide uh, is the best way to call it to call it because uh, like i said even just just that uh, experience in Chernihiv. Uh, I, like I said, I spent there five days under constant shelling with no military targets near us. It, it just felt like, you know, they cut off the escape routes for civilians to leave, for any aid to be able to come in, and they were just peppering and shelling uh, regular people. So if if that's not genocide, I really don't know what the definition would be.
1: And, you know, Russia can say whatever they they're saying, you know, it's whatever they their line is their narrative but when you look and you see like you said there was it wasn't a military target it was people just you know angry scared people just trying to live their lives trying to escape trying to trying to survive and all you can do is is think exactly what you're saying you know that this is just this is horrible it's horrific it's unnecessary it's unneeded and yep it just it it leaves me speechless Absolutely. Um, but I wanted to also ask what you heard from the people that you were helping and, you know, bringing supplies to. What were they saying? You know, not just about the, the conflicts that was going on, but about the work that you were doing.
2: Um, obviously, they were appreciative and obviously they were happy and uh, to be out of the line of fire. Uh, at the same time, you can imagine what it's like having to leave your home. You know, yes, uh, you're you're happy, you're alive. But once the initial shock is gone, even though you're in the safety, you start realizing that you don't have a home anymore. Yes, you're alive. Yes, ho- hopefully maybe your your family's with you there. They survived, but you're left with nothing. You got nowhere to go. You have you 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 have nowhere to come back to. You know. So it changed a lot of people's lives. It changed millions of people's lives in Ukraine in the last, uh, you know, four or five months.
1: And it's continuing, you know, to to change people's lives. It's continuing to impact people. So you were there, you helped out, you you, you did a lot of great work, and now you're back here in the Tri-Counties. Uh, when you returned to Claire, what was the reception that you received?
2: Oh, uh, it was incredible. I actually, it was so overwhelming that i tried to uh stay at home outside of uh, i tried not to even well i never told anybody i was coming back so and i try to keep it that way for for as long as i could because uh, it, like i said it was overwhelming you know I, I i obviously appreciate everything everybody did here and and all the help and support but i i don't know if i could if I could have handled it by, uh, uh, you know, just trying to absorb everything one day at a time, you know, so it took me a few days before I started uh, kind of seeing my friends and uh, and others, but uh, the first two or three days, only the, the closest people to me knew that I was back, and, uh, you know, we, we spent some time together, and, Anyways, I adjusted to a time change and that, and you know, start speaking to you guys and other media after that.
1: Yeah, it must have been a big adjustment going from that, you know, that extreme situation to coming back here.
2: Well, that that extreme situation by by the end of the third month, you know, was second nature to me because that's all I've been doing for three months was just driving there and driving back. And, you know, it's, it was all, it was definitely shocking the first few trips, but after a while I got, uh, you know, I don't know if you can get used to it, but uh, it was, a lot, you know, I got used to, I guess to, to, to an extent, I got used to it. Right. You know, I, I made so many trips that, uh, uh, at some checkpoints they already knew me by my face, you know, uh, uh, so I don't know it was uh I was hoping to stay there till the end but uh like I said when I left from Canada I had no idea what the rules and regulations are and I never planned nothing I just took off uh once I got to Ukraine I learned that uh you know even though you don't need a visa with a Canadian passport you're, you're still only allowed to stay you know three months at a time and uh If you want to stay longer, you'd have to get some kind of special visa and this and that. Mind you, I don't have a Ukrainian passport either, although I was born there, but uh, Ukraine doesn't allow dual citizenship yet. So, you know, I had to uh, spend my time in Ukraine as a Canadian citizen. So um, once my 30 days were up, you know, I bought a ticket and flew back here.
1: Uh, And that brings me to the last thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Do you plan on going back to Ukraine?
2: Definitely. Um, This time, if I go back, I'll I'll, uh, uh, go back with a volunteer visa. It will give me a year's stay uh, instead of three months, so I'll be able to spend more time there. Of course, I got a lot of stuff to uh, catch up on here. Uh, you know I, I have a running business and and that that needs to be taken care of but as soon as uh uh as soon as i'm able to go back i'll definitely go back
1: well i think that that's amazing and i want to thank you so much for joining me today for coming in and talking about your experiences as a ukrainian canadian living here your experience over in ukraine helping out bringing that much needed relief that support that people need and so i just want to say thank you for for being here and for talking with us about it
2: well thank you and thank uh i'd like to thank everybody uh from from here from from Nova Scotia and you know the rest of Canada too for that matter but uh especially from for to people around here that uh showed so much support and donated so much money and uh, their houses for, for refugees that are coming in now. And uh, they did so much while I was there and and, and still doing uh, everything they can to help. So, uh, you know, e- even that trip that I made to Ukraine uh, in the beginning of the war, you know, was, I, I shouldn't say it was only possible because of the donations, but these donations helped a lot. I mean, you, you, I think people here in in southwest nova well and probably in nova scotia in, in general donated uh close to seventy thousand dollars i mean that bought a lot of supplies and you know and saved a lot of lives so you know thank you all
1: and i think we'll leave it there i think that was really good lex thanks so much for joining me today the weekender returns in a moment on y95
0: welcome back to the weekender on y95 Talking about uh, Scotian Shores and the fantastic work that they do helping to keep Nova Scotia's shorelines clean and and free of debris, which is always a great initiative to do, and always looking for volunteers to help out in that too. We have Kristen Hobble on the line with us, and uh, Kristen uh, helps out with Scotian Shores down this way. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us this morning.
3: You're welcome. Glad to be here.
0: And I know you're kind of in the middle of a cleanup right now as we're talking. Uh, You're down on Cape (laughs) Island. So uh, tell me what's happening down in the Cape this morning.
3: So we're at the Cape. We're doing a two-day prep clean right now. So the 23rd and the 24th. We are preparing to haul stuff off this weekend, the 27th and 28th. So what's that going to look like is we are essentially making piles so that when it comes time to haul it, they're not needing to run all over the place. So could be piles of traps, could be piles of bags with, like, different kinds of debris. It's a little bit organized chaos, but it works.
0: <laughs> so that's happening today and tomorrow, correct?
3: It is, yep.
0: Okay, perfect. And Scotian Shores, uh, I want to talk about that and the great work that Scotian Shores does. Tell me about the group, how it started, and, and how you became involved.
3: So Angela Riley started it about two years ago. Um, she just kind of got fed up seeing all the debris, and she's like, you know what? I'm going to do something. So she started posting about, you know, different cleanups she did and got people involved. Um, And it's definitely grown a lot since then. Um, In the two years, they've reached over 250,000 pounds of debris removed. Um, I got involved, like, heavily, I guess, back in March. Um, She was kind of shopping around for someone who was familiar using a spreadsheet and I teach math, so that's kind of up my alley. So I was kind of like, what, what do you need with a spreadsheet? So that's how I kind of took on the role of being a, a data person for her. So I kind of work on logging different lobster trap tags that we find. We keep track of those. We have over 8,300 logged right now. So we get all kinds of information about that, like where debris is coming from, how far it's traveling. Um Kind of informs us a little bit about uh, different practices. We're off of the Bay of Fundy here, so we do get stuff that is not Canadian. Um, so we can learn a lot by just looking at that piece of those pieces of information there.
0: Well, that's absolutely incredible. And you were telling me beforehand that you're a teacher at Drumlin Heights. I didn't know you taught math. So the spreadsheet <laughs> aspect of it, I guess, is is amazing. There, yeah, uh, that uh, yeah. Y- you get involved. But is this has this become a passion for you to really you know find all these different. Uh, Items on the beaches and the shores, and a lot of it is marine debris, correct?
3: A lot of it is, yeah. So we definitely look at, like, abandoned and lost fishing gear. Um, It's not always fishing gear. Like, there is the regular debris you find on, like, the streets and everything. But given the prevalence of the fishing industry, and we all know fishermen, we all know that, you know, stuff happens on a boat. Sometimes stuff gets lost. Um, If there's a particular bad storm, you know, sometimes some traps get loose or whatever. Like, um, it happens. So eventually it will make its way somewhere and we've been working on cleaning that up. So, um, like in Yarmouth County alone in 2022, we've cleaned over 50,000 pounds. Wow. So
0: a significant, a significant number there. Uh, Mm -hmm. just amazing when you get these groups together for, for Scotian shores, is it a lot of local folks that come out and take part and, and help with that removal?
3: Uh, it varies. There are some of us who travel a little bit to different cleanups. Like there's a few people that would travel like from the Valley and like, I would do the same for them if they were having a cleanup and I was able to fit it into my schedule. Um, but there are definitely locals. We do our best to advertise in like the local Facebook groups. We try to get the radio if we can, or like papers and like anyone prevalent, like, Hey, you want to share this for us? (laughs) Um, because it is volunteer work, right? So we're doing it for the good of everybody, ideally. So
0: Yeah. Like you said, it's about, you know, keeping the shores clean for everyone to enjoy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's you don't want to go down to the to the beach and and see all a bunch of debris lying around. You want it to be nice and clean. And and that means Mm -hmm. that there are people like you and and people like volunteers that come out to to help do that. So uh, maybe Mm -hmm. for folks that like to do that, it's something that that they might want to think about and, and become involved.
3: Yeah. I mean, I usually try to do a cleanup or two a month. Um, it might be a little hard come September, but you know, uh, I'll be a little busy that month, but after that, usually clean up or two a month, I try to do usually on a Saturday or Sunday through the school year. And again, it's all volunteer. It's one of those things that if you want to show up for half an hour show up for half an hour, if you want to come for the whole time, come for the whole time. And I mean, while there's sometimes there's stuff that is kind of like heavy hauling, there's always little stuff to pick. You know, if you wanted to go and like pick like little tiny pieces, you are more than welcome to. Um, I've had people that are a little older, maybe a little bit mo- with some mobility issues. They've come and, you know, just picked up little things. So it's all ages, really.
0: Every little bit helps. And that's, oh, uh, for sure. you know, the, the, the big message for sure. Um, and, and I know that you've done a cleanup on the Cape, uh, earlier this month already. And we did quite a lot of debris was removed there already.
3: So this was earlier this month, we were removed just over 13,000 pounds and totaling that there was over 200 lobster traps that we removed. Um, These have accumulated here over many years. Um, I'm finding like tags that on traps still from like the early 2000s. So it's not necessarily, oh yeah, it's not necessarily a new thing. Um, that being said, the tags actually date back to 1983, so they've been using the same kind of system for the last almost 40 years.
0: It's a, a history lesson that you're finding out there too. I mean, and that and oh, yeah. probably a cool thing to relate to uh, to the students you teach too, if you tell them about it, right?
3: Yeah, they think I'm a little nuts, but <laughs> it's okay. I roll with it. <laughs>
0: No, it's great. It's great. Uh, uh, it's really interesting. I didn't know that you'd be able to find something, you know, that's been around for that long. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty amazing. And it just goes to show that, that things can stay, uh, you know, in the ocean and, and around uh-huh. for, for years and years.
3: Yeah. And you don't necessarily think of that because some people pick the attitude sometimes like out of sight, out of mind. And I mean, yeah, but eventually it'll resurface somewhere. And we're trying to do the best that we can to deal with some of that. Like the Cape is a beautiful place. Um, we're trying to make it even better. So
0: it is, and cleanups are going on there. Uh, like you said, kind of the pre-clean is happening today and tomorrow. This mm-hmm. weekend uh, is when you, you, you know you obviously want people today and tomorrow. But I, I want to talk about this weekend. It's going on from nine to four, both Saturday yeah. and Sunday.
3: Yeah. So this weekend kind of going to be a a more difficult clean, and that it's a lot of hauling. So while often our claims are family friendly, that one a little less so because you're probably not going to get a toddler hauling a lobster drop. Um, So definitely, you know, if you have some muscles and you want to help us out, that is absolutely cool with us. Um, But we're going to be taking and hauling it all to the mainland so that it can be properly disposed of instead of just hanging out on this lovely island.
0: And like you said, you need a lot of, you know, muscles to do that, of course. Uh, Mm -hmm. So hopefully some some folks will be able to come down and help out there. Uh, What do you use to kind of haul that? away like an atv or a truck
3: so on the island we don't have an atv or truck or anything we have people hauling them to designated points along the shoreline and then from there we take boats and then we load them onto the boat and then they are taken to the like the hawkshead memorial area and from there it's taken to the dump and properly disposed of
0: gotcha so quite a process there for sure yep (laughs) <laughs> well, that's good. And then, like you said, you need many helping hands. So so how does this work if you want to get involved uh, this weekend?
3: So check out the Scotian Shores Facebook page. It is simple. as that. Scotian Shores. Um, Angela, the one who runs it, she posts – there's all kinds of events. And, I mean, if you send a message to the page, we will definitely have information for you. Um, she's usually pretty good at answering those questions. Uh, and, you know, if you are in the area, if you show up around 9 o'clock-ish or shortly thereafter – um you could probably definitely hop on a boat and come on over um there's different like there might be a, another couple boats coming for the day and there's usually contact information provided at, like at the dock so that we know if someone's there to help um so again you know if you're willing and able an hour two hours we're not forcing you to stay the whole day but I'll be there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Go see Kristen; uh, she'll she'll help you out for sure. Well, that's great, yeah. it's certainly great, and this is all part of um, your end of summer tour, I guess. Yes. So this began up in the Annapolis Valley.
3: Yep, uh, Angela was at Litchfield on Sunday, so they had collected, I think, over three thousand pounds. Don't quote me on that one, but it's, they they collected a fair bit. And then yesterday we had about six hundred and fifty in Bellavo's Cove. Uh, today and tomorrow. We're, we're gonna collect a bunch I'm not sure how much we're gonna haul to the mainland but we're gonna be prepping it for the weekend
0: so, so it's all uh you know it all comes together and like you said you've been involved uh, heavily since March and and mm-hmm. so much has been has been taken uh you know mm-hmm. uh, during this time it's it's been unbelievable and and you've done you know different yeah. ones like uh uh beaches through Yarmouth things like that too so yeah. it hasn't just been like Barrington area this has been like a tri-county yeah. initiative.
3: It has. Um, I mean, Angela has things all across the province, but like I've done one, I did one in Chibok earlier this month, last month, it's all kind of run together, but we had 3,100 pounds that we pulled off there. Um, we did Cook's Beach in May, like just shy of 2,900 pounds. We've done Pembroke again, 2,800 pounds. Um, it varies. It all Obviously, depending on what we have, you know, if we have ATVs, that usually makes life a lot easier. Um, we can usually haul a little bit more, but again, even just people picking, we can get a fair bet.
0: Definitely. And like, like we have been talking about uh, every little bit helps for sure. And if, uh, oh, for sure, so if somebody's like, you know, if they're on a beach somewhere and they see a bunch of debris, like, are they able to, to kind of handle that themselves? Do you, do you get calls or messages about ther- certain things that are hanging around?
3: Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we'll get messages of like, Hey, this beach here is going to, messy uh you know if you guys are able or to get a clean out there i've gotten scoped out places for people at times uh sometimes it is a matter of access sometimes beaches are really hard to access um sometimes it's hard to get a hold of landowners sometimes they're not necessarily a fan of us using their property as like a way to get to the shore easier so there's all in many hoops for us to jump through
0: right but so. uh, you know hopefully everyone can come on board and help out mm-hmm. this weekend. Uh, Yeah, and and today and tomorrow as well, it looks uh, looks great. So uh, you've sent along a couple of posters here, and uh, like you said, you did Mm -hmm. Bella Cove yesterday, Cape Island uh, today, tomorrow, and then uh, this weekend will be the heavier uh, lift for uh, Saturday and Sunday. So beyond this, Kristen, anything else uh, officially planned this time?
3: Uh, Not as of yet, but there will definitely be more coming. Uh, I know personally I'm always... You know, keeping my eye on what's going on around the Yarmouth area primarily. But, you know, I branch out a bit, um, seeing, you know, where we can do some good. I mean, anywhere realistically. But um, I tend to look for some areas where, you know, we've got, we got a fair bit and you need many hands. If it's a smaller thing, I, I might just grab a bag and go to town myself.
0: <laughs> and, and do you provide that kind of equipment for people to, to come and like gloves and things like that?
3: Yeah, so waste check in Yarmouth is fantastic to deal with. Um, they unfortunately know me by name now because uh, <laughs> I'm often being like, "Hey, I got another cleanup." So they're really good about through the Great Nova Scotia Pick Me Up providing bags and gloves and stuff for us. So we always have those on the go. And Yarmouth and Digby are actually really fortunate in that we have a um, a litter program. So if you are a person who goes and picks up like roadside litter, they actually have stickers that you can affix to the bags, so you're not like dinged with them come garbage day so that they are designated as like curbside or like shoreline or whatever trash
0: so wonderful so be- no difficulties there for pickup you mean
3: <laughs> no because like you're not going to be able to properly sort it as you might want to because of the condition that it was found in and whatnot so right.
0: and so much different mm-hmm. stuff too i mean uh, like uh-huh. you said there's a lot of different things what's the <laughs> what's the oddest thing you found i guess in your travels is there anything that sticks out uh, for you uh
3: i know angela has found dentures many times oh. like multiple oh. times
0: wow that's so, uh that's, that's quite a quite a thing to find yeah,
3: it's a little it's a, it's a weird one mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah a little strange but uh yeah I, I mean, you just you just pick it up and keep on going right
3: basically you put it in the bag
0: <laughs> there you go So, uh, finally, Kristen, thanks for your time, by the way. I know you're in the middle of a cleanup right now. uh, But uh, where can we get more information?
3: Scotian Shores. There's a website and there's a Facebook page. Those are the places that you're going to be able to find the most up-to-date information. And if you really want to see what individual people are doing, there is the Scotian Shores Ocean Warrior Facebook group where a lot of us post what we're cleaning and where we're at.
0: Great to stay connected, uh, certainly, and great it to, is. you know, be able to get together and do cleanups, especially, you know, after the pandemic and everything. It's nice to mm-hmm. nice to see everyone back together. Well, uh, Kristen hobble thank you very much for your time and talking mm-hmm. about Scotian shores. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, you'll be able to get out to a cleanup in your area very, very soon. Awesome, thank you. And that's our program for today. Thanks for listening. For story suggestions or to submit feedback, email news.cjls at radioabl.ca or call our news line at 902-749-1919. To listen to archived versions of our program, visit us online at cjls.com and click on The Weekender. The Weekender is a production of the Y95 Newsroom and is brought to you by Aris Yarmuth, your one-stop healthy home center.